We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, the crew just got here just in time. Literally is the seconds ticked down on the YouTube countdown. In popped Vince D'Addario. Jesse Styers is here with his hat as well. And, of course, I'm Sean Styers. Thanks for uh, all the listeners slash viewers for, for popping over. Did you guys start at 1 o'clock today, Vince? Sure did. All right. So Vince is doing that uh, double m- marathon into a sprint once again. You got the saddle sores so- to prove it. But I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. I <laughs> bet you do. Good to have you. Get ready for your holiday weekend. We've got some yes. firecrackers to shoot off in uh, in today's show. Do your kids do your kids do the firecrackers, Vince? Do you let your kids do the firecrackers? How's that work out there? To a degree, I, I, I'm. I I know this is going to shock both of you. <laughs> Fireworks is like setting fire to your money. Like there I don't you know. That's, that's I, not. I, you know, I had we, a feel, and I don't blame you, especially as many kids as you have. You know, yeah, like you got to keep a track of all of their little fingers and the you know like <laughs> yes. explosives and everything else. And like when my the tradition at my household used to be my dad. You know, like when the kids were growing up, my dad would come out for fourth of july weekend because his birthday is the next week anyway so ah. kind of you know like do the fourth do his birthday yep. and all that kind of stuff but he would take the kids to the fireworks stand and you know like spend the money on one of the big packages and all that kind of yeah. stuff so so he did that i never like to spend money i would like rather just yeah. you know go watch the big display yep. and that kind of yep. stuff. we so. would get sprinklers or sprinklers sparklers you know those are relatively cheap get a couple of little ones to kind of fire off in the street but like we're going to be on vacation this time around for fourth of july so we're gonna go to the big firework display sit on the beach you know watch the fireworks that's it and luckily for me beach beach you going to uh south haven up in michigan okay so luckily the house we're renting it specifically says no fireworks allowed at the house there you go shucks Sorry, kids. We can't get any fireworks. <laughs> Bails you out, right? <laughs> it does. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a lot to get to. I know Jesse's not shooting off any fireworks or buying any fireworks, on, so we Jess. don't have to worry about that. Let's just jump right into it as uh, we uh, continue to fill up. And, and just subtle reminder, hit the uh, like button, please, as you enter the door tonight. We do appreciate it. So this has been, uh, you know, this is like the Marcus Freeman does interviews season. <laughs> yes, it he, is. Uh, he, of course, sat down with IB's Brian Driscoll recently. He's been all over the place with all the different outlets, sitting down doing the one-on-ones, including with Pivot Podcast. And I had never heard of the Pivot until <laughs> right. he did this interview with him last week. But Ryan Clark, Fred Taylor, a couple former NFL guys among the hosts of the pivot here's something freeman told them about sam hartman quote you're going into this season with the guy who has proven to play quarterback at a high level last year we had two guys who were great kids but neither of them had proven to play quarterback at a high level for the consistency of the season now you have a guy who has some experience end quote so what do you guys think of this so for me, the two things that are glaring are, first and foremost, Marcus Freeman wants to win 
right now. And I think that is the number one blaring statement um, that comes from that. And I think the second one is not that he blames last season, you know, on the quarterbacks, but it seems as if the most of their trouble stems from lack of production or consistency um, at their quarterback level. And I, again, I don't think he's sitting up there pointing the finger. I think if anything, he would point the finger at himself first, but if we have to talk in terms of X's and O's, what limited the team the most last year, it was the quarterback position. And so I think he basically said, you know, this year we're going to have even more talent um, and it's time to win now. And I think that statement overall shows that they, they didn't want to waste that window of the talent they have now and that they want to win now. And you can't win with a a young non-consistent quarterback. Sam Hartman has played, probably more college games at the starting quarterback position compared to any other quarterback um, in college football right now. He's He's got to be number one in experience. So that's what you have to look for. And especially for someone like Marcus Freeman, that's a young head coach. You don't, you don't want a young quarterback as a young head coach. Those are two things that are likely not going to go together. I will say this is about as close to throwing guys under the bus as you'll ever get from a head coach. You know what I right. mean? Right, especially Marcus Freeman. <laughs> right, absolutely. And I'm not saying yeah, that. I was going to say not a head coach because the previous guy. Well, you know, fair like, enough. Like yeah. There were tire treads on plenty of guys. You know, <sighs> that's a good point. That's a good point. I meant from Marcus Freeman. <laughs> like he's not the kind of guy that's going to throw kids under the bus. And I'm not even saying he's throwing them under the bus, but he is saying, look, we've talked about it a million times. You're really only as good as your quarterback, unless you have absolute elite talent everywhere and the quarterback's just on the bus, right? You need a quarterback to drive the bus. Notre Dame hasn't had that quarterback for a while. They didn't have it last year, right? For whatever reason, injuries, experience, talent, they didn't have it. Marcus Freeman's saying that. He's like, hey, we had guys that did not play the position at an elite level last year, and they didn't. Those are just facts. Now they have a kid who has done it. Now he hasn't won a national championship, but he's played the position at an elite level. That makes all the difference in the world. And watch how this season goes. It's going to go as far as Sam Hartman's going to take him, in my opinion. And Marcus Freeman realizes that. And maybe it took him a year as a head coach. He didn't really have a Sam Hartman option last year, right? But he knows that this offense is only going to be as good as that a quarterback that they have. And the recruiting has proven that, you know, since he's been around. You come to Notre Dame to win championships. And he got Absolutely. to see both of these guys last year. And he made this decision because he didn't feel like either one of them was going to lead them to a championship this season. Plain and simple. And, yep. you know, I know a lot of people like if there's a knock on Sam Hartman, it's the turnovers that he had at Wake Forest. He had 12 interceptions last year, which is, you know, would you like it to be lower? Sure. But that was in 448 attempts. In 111 fewer attempts, Buckner and Pine combined for 11. Almost as many, you know, one fewer in 111 fewer attempts. You know, so like those two combined through interceptions at a much higher rate. And they also, by the way, didn't come anywhere close to the amount of touchdowns that that uh, Sam Hartman threw at Wake Forest. He's the most experienced quarterback in the country. And again, you want to win a national championship. That's what you're here at Notre Dame for. And he basically said, you know, as you guys both pointed out, in as close a way as possible maybe to throwing a a couple of guys under the bus without throwing them under the bus, had to get better at quarterback if that's going to be true. And I found it really interesting, you know, yesterday with Mark Heim, the Alabama insider who was with me, you know, he asked, kind of kind of posed somewhat rhetorically, somewhat directed at me, you know, like the fact that Tommy Reese goes to Alabama after already, you know, by the time he went to Alabama in early February, Sam Hartman was on campus and enrolled at Notre Dame and attending classes and, and going through workouts they had already brought in the quarterback who was going to replace Tyler Buckner and then Tyler Buckner you know follows Tommy Reese down to Alabama so it's it's really it, that is kind of a, a more curious situation than than really you, I think I had thought about you know when you think about it that way that that the combination of Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese had basically told Tyler Buckner that he wasn't going to be the guy here 
So then Tommy Reese goes to Alabama and brings Buckner down there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, it's an interesting scenario for sure. I mean, and I know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here, right? Look, Sam Hartman came to Notre Dame because he felt like he was going to be the best quarterback in the room, and he was going to end up being the starter. I don't know if that was directly told to him. But you don't go get a Sam Hartman if you don't expect him to, at the very least, compete and win the job or just win the job outright, right? So they they brought him in because they didn't have faith that Tyler Buckner was going to, at the very least, make it through an entire season from an injury standpoint, right? So everybody knew Sam Hartman was coming in. I don't think Tyler Buckner thought that he had a soft landing spot anywhere until Tommy Reese left, and he's like, oh, I can go there. Still doesn't make a whole lot of sense that that's where he decided to go, considering now they have five quarterbacks all vying for the starting position down there, and he certainly is not guaranteed to start at Alabama. But that's his decision to make. I'm not surprised he left, but I am surprised at his destination. Yeah. Joe wants to know, if Hartman gets Notre Dame to 12-0, and does he win the Heisman? I mean, at the very least, he's going to be on the Heisman. He's going to have a great shot at City. He's going to be a finalist, I think. Because, because he I don't, I don't think they go 12 and 0 without a remarkable season from Hart. Exactly. Harvard. And and you beat the reigning Heisman Trophy winner head to head. You beat Ohio State head to head and you beat Clemson at Clemson. Like, yes, he's got a real good shot at winning the Heisman Trophy if they're 12 and 0. Jesse's shaking his head. Yes. <laughs> In the affirmative. <laughs> he thinks he can wear that hat and then just, you know, People, God, did I see somebody offered you fifty bucks for that hat? Two hundred, two hundred, two hundred yesterday. Yeah, yeah dude. take that money and run. No, Seriously. I can't. I don't know what you're waiting for. Is that made out of corduroy? Yeah. Uh, that price just went down. This is this is. <laughs> there's only a hundred of these made, Vince. Because there's only so many pairs of pants you can turn into hats. Well, it's not my fault. Everyone likes it. <laughs> All right, fill in the blank. If Notre Dame never plays blank again, you'll be just fine with it. I mean, I'm going to say Michigan. People are going to be upset, and I don't care. If they never play Michigan again, I'm fine with it. I will lose zero sleep. See, I like the Michigan game. It's it's a big rivalry for many reasons. I have a lot of friends in Michigan, so it's it's fun for me to keep that one more personal for you. I get that. Yeah, so I like that one. For me, I would be happy if they end it with Stanford. There's really no more to me. There's there's really nothing tying the schools together anymore, um, especially because Notre Dame has moved. You know, I mean, they, really, they, I, I don't even understand what started it. But now it's like Stanford has been on the decline for a while now. And I just don't think it does anything, especially, you know, when, when you already have the USC, you're going back and forth between California at least, you know, once a year. And I just feel like it's a big trip that's ultimately 
not needed. And Stanford just doesn't really provide anything to the schedule anymore. In my opinion, I don't, I think Stanford's going to be bad um, for a while. And to me, it kind of came down to like, who does Notre Dame play the most? Um, and the, their top 10 of teams that they've played the most, it's number one, Navy, two, USC, three, Purdue, four, Michigan State, five, Pittsburgh, six, Army, um, eight, Michigan, nine, Georgia Tech, and 10, Stanford. Everyone will say, you know, Army and, and Navy. I don't mind those games. I, I like that's, I, I feel like either. the easy answer. I think it to me, it came down to Pitt and Stanford. And I feel like Pitt has actually been a more stable, relevant team. I like that game because it actually is a good matchup. And, just Stanford is, again, it's just they're on the decline. And, I mean, it's hard to say because Stanford beat them last year, right? So it's like they couldn't even beat a bad team last year. But I just don't think Stanford really gives the uh, gives the schedule anything exciting anymore. Yeah, I I agree. I, I was wondering if it would be a unanimous sweep of Stanford. I'm surprised that Vince said Michigan just because of, you know, I realize the animosity in that. I mean, it's a rival. Like, it it's still – a rivalry, like to me, what to a degree? Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't. Like, eh. <laughs> yeah, it's a rivalry to Michigan fans. <laughs> it's a rivalry to Notre Dame fans as well. Like between between the two, because Notre Dame was was beating USC so often. Like the the Michigan rival you know, rivalry. Like when I was growing up, and even into a d- early adulthood, I think that it went from what like 1982 to 1996 before USC finally beat Notre Dame, you know? So like even in the Faust years when Notre Dame was down, Notre Dame was still kicking USC's butt. Like to me, um, it, to me, the Michigan, like it, the Michigan rivalry meant much more in those late eighties and early nineties, because they always played at the start of the season. Obviously USC is either going to be at the end of the season or the middle of the season, (laughs) but Notre Dame, Michigan was always in the middle or always at the beginning they were always both very good, top 10 teams going into it. And, you know, there was just so much riding on it. Like, your season depended on that. And so, like, to me, you know, especially, you know, again, there's proximity and the whole thing. So, I like – I don't want to have Michigan every year, but, I, like, every, every you know, five or six years, something like that, I'd like to see it. I wouldn't even mind, you know, seeing it on, maybe at a neutral site every now and then. You know, like, play it as a Shamrock Series game someplace. But – um Stanford does nothing for me at all. Like Derek was saying, you get the NorCal recruiting. Uh, I think there's a lot more value in the Southern no. California recruiting, like no we've doubt. talked about. Like my, I would favor replacing Stanford with UCLA, with UCLA, you know, coming along with USC, joining the Big Ten. I just Stanford does nothing at all right now, you know, unless they elevate themselves again to another level of play. Which really, when you look at it, that Harbaugh Shaw window is like the most successful period of Stanford football ever. So the odds that they're ever going to get close to that level again are pretty slim. So like if you're if your biggest goal is getting out to California again, I'd rather see UCLA on the schedule. Stanford does nothing for me. I think Stymie said Purdue, they would be my number 2. Purdue, I I could not care less. Oh, see, I'd rather play Purdue than Michigan. Oh wow. Yep. I just think There's I just more think history means, in the Purdue game than there is with the Michigan game. Well, in, in terms of long running, yeah. But in terms of like actual both-sided rivalries, like the the Purdue rivalry still means more to Purdue than it means to Notre Dame. And that's why I don't like I think I think the same thing about Michigan. I think it means more to the Michigan fans than it does to Notre Dame fans. Yeah, They're the ones all butthurt that Notre Dame's not playing Michigan. Notre Dame fans, you don't hear them complaining about it. Because it's not a thing. I mean, they've got the whole Big Ten behind them. And it's, you know, like there's always the, you know, Big Ten rattle the cage argument. Yeah. But but I agree with you wholeheartedly on Stanford. If they went away. Vince is just constantly blinded by his his Wolverine hatred. Oh, and it's a blinding hatred. There's no (laughs) doubt about that. Blinding like the core of the sun. Jesse still stands mute. Okay. <laughs> I said my point. I love the Michigan games. Oh, you're All wearing right. maize right now. All right. This question came from Mark Avalone the other day in our mailbag. And I was saving this for uh, for today when we had all three of us here. I'm curious to get your input. And I'm going to start with Vince on this one. Does it surprise you that Chase Claypool appears to be getting a poor work attitude reputation? Did this present itself while at Notre Dame? 
does it surprise me? No. Did it present itself at Notre Dame? Yes. So I'm not at all surprised by that. I, there were a lot of a lot of behind the scenes stories that I've heard over the years that he was not the most aggressive worker out there, and he got he, by on talent quite yep. a bit. He was a very raw yep. talent coming out of Canada, and, and he should have been on the field sooner. Numbers. Yep, exactly. And that was on him that he wasn't because he didn't put the work in to get on the field and learn and do what he needed to do, and that's why he wasn't on the field as early as he should have been. And now apparently he's like off in Europe taking photographs and doing all kind, you know, like a model and like working in the off season to actually dude, get better. And you're you know, not good enough. He could be day job in a for that. Years if it doesn't swing here pretty soon. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised at all at all. Um. So I never really heard about it um, during his time at Notre Dame. So I can't really, you know, speak on that one. I wasn't, I don't think I was around kind of enough to, to know that one, but does it surprise me overall? No, because Chase Claypool just reminds me of a guy who's just physically gifted and just showed up and allowed that to kind of carry him through. And I think he, again, I don't, I don't care what your off the off the field, you know, interests are, but that comes secondary to after you finished, you know, your workouts for the day and et cetera. And it seems like Claypool these days has prioritized his social scene, his fashion scene, um, etc over the football stuff and, and instead of working really hard to to he could be an elite wide receiver with his frame that he has in the nfl but again that seems like it's taken a back seat uh to more of his kind of social aspect and his fashion aspect and everything which is fine but don't expect to be a a, a good football player for much longer in the nfl you know like and to me it's such a waste of talent and just an overall like the the blessed half the battle of being a good athlete is being blessed with a frame of six foot four and 225 pounds. And if you don't want to capitalize on it, I think that's the part that makes me the most mad is because there are a lot of people out there who will work super hard to barely get an opportunity or don't even get the opportunity. And someone like Chase Claypool just shows up and, and lets his kind of physique go to waste essentially. Yeah. As Mr. 2.0 says, dude is six four two thirty eight and doesn't work as hard as he could. Yikes. And that's the thing you can get by with a lot yeah. of things when you're 6'4", 238 playing wide receiver, you know, like the guy was built like a freaking linebacker, you know, or, you know, a little bit of an undersized defensive end and he was playing receiver. You can get by with some things. Absolutely. And like, like you look at his rookie year in Pittsburgh when he put up all the numbers, 62 catches over 870 yards and nine touchdowns. He was the number three guy behind Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson. And then Smith-Schuster gets hurt the next year and all of a sudden, He's actually being counted on a little bit yep. more, you know, when like coverage is going to go his way a little bit more, you know, again, as the number three guy, you can thrive when you've got Ben Roethlisberger out there to, to throw you the football. And that's what he got. He was open a lot yep. as a rookie. And now you've got to work a little bit more. And, you know, like you take that back to the Notre Dame years when his first, I think it was his first two years, 34 catches total 116 in the last two. And again, it's like he had Miles Boykin, Equinemius St. Brown, you know, to try to battle with. And, you know, those are legit guys, obviously. But where was the work ethic? And, like, he was on a lot of special teams and stuff like that. But I would still, you know, see him make some mistakes even on special teams, you know. And so it's just like the the it's the mental focus and the, and the want to just um, it seems to have followed him. To the NFL, so I am not completely shocked. Unfortunately, well, he had every opportunity to be the number one guy at Pittsburgh, every right. opportunity, and now he's with the Bears. So, what does that tell you? You know what I mean? That that tells you that he was expendable from Pittsburgh, and <laughs> doesn't take much to be one of the best receivers that the Bears have, right? And so, what is that going to look like after this year and moving forward? I mean, a guy with Harder, with, with better work ethic than him is going to pass him up. It's what's going to end up happening if he doesn't focus on what he's doing and he's going to be out of the league because there's not going to be a third team that's going to take a chance on him. Andrew Gilmore asks as we uh, shift topics here, have you guys seen the stats from 2021 when Jared Parker was at was um, offensive coordinator at West Virginia and Knowles, of course, Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator at Ohio State, was at Oklahoma State. WVU lost at home 24-3. They only gained 150 yards. Any concerns with Parker versus Knowles? My answer, 
is no, <laughs> because one, Oklahoma State was a really good team that year, and Jared Parker was running somebody else's offense. You know, he was yeah, – there, there, there it is, and, right there. And there are questions about – you know, like we were talking about Petrino and Jimbo Fisher yesterday and the potential clashes. You know, like who knows exactly what that whole, you know, behind the scenes was was like right. at West Virginia for Parker. Yeah, with, I mean, you know, he, he what just What kind of autonomy he even had. Go ahead, he right. didn't have the the I would say the level of talent maybe that's you know at Notre Dame the fact that. that yeah he didn't it, the offense wasn't really his he just kind of had his hands on it and it was you know it was basically 50 50 um and I don't think it's um again I don't I, I don't think it's well, I, I sorry he he shared play calling like 50 50 and then the offense itself wasn't an actual derivative of something that he you know came up with and created so I just think there's a lot of factors playing into it. Um, they're both at, you know, way different positions now, way different talent around them. Um, and I think it's actually going to be a really good matchup, I think, between the two. Well, and then here's the other thing. Knowles was in what year as the Oklahoma State defensive coordinator at that time? Multiple years. I don't know the exact number. I was going to look it up. Didn't have a chance. Jesse didn't talk long enough. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> the bottom line is it wasn't year two, Okay. And so it was an experienced defense under his regime of what they wanted to do versus an offense that wasn't fully the offensive coordinator and all of that. So it really means nothing to me, to be honest with you. Um, it doesn't, it's a fun stat to throw out there. And I'm not, this isn't anything against um, the guy who put this up here, but it has nothing to do with the matchup that's about to take place this coming season, this coming season at all. Concur. Fill in the blank. It's blank that Jim Harbaugh has implemented beat Ohio State and beat Georgia periods <laughs> in Michigan football practices. Is laughable. It is so, so laughable. And it's, it's such a high school thing. Yeah. And I'll tell you why it's laughable because this is, this is, it, it, Vince, can you can talk about this? You're what's I guarantee what's going to happen to them is they're going to get so hyper fixated on <laughs> Ohio State and Georgia, and that's all and they're going to think about. Else. And they're going to lose, they're going to have blinders, and they're going to end up losing to someone and get embarrassed. And the first question that he's going to be asked is, Do you think you should have been worrying about this team and not <laughs> Ohio State and Georgia in every practice? And he's going to come back and say something stupid and make himself look like an idiot. And that's just the nature of the beast with Jim Harbaugh. It's just you, it shouldn't be beat Ohio State and beat Georgia periods. It should be uh, beat adversity, overcome adversity periods. You know, that's something more broad that applies to every team that you can use in every game, not specifically just Georgia State or Georgia and Ohio State, because what you're doing is you're setting a standard, telling your players that those are the games we care about and we work harder for those games instead of working hard every week for every opponent. It's very gimmicky, number one. Number two, it is also like you've beaten Ohio State the past two years without the the gimmicky beat Ohio State period. Why are you changing anything? I don't understand that at all. And I agree with Jesse wholeheartedly. All the focus is going to be on those teams. Just like all the focus was on Ohio State in the offseason for Notre Dame. And then they go out and lose to Marshall the next week. It's very similar. And I could very easily see that kind of thing happening to Michigan if they're all their focus is on those two teams. It just allows you to build up something and be let down because you, you've, you've allowed this, the, the, like it's whether you realize it or not players subconsciously, they, they'll just naturally kind of react, right? Like it, they, their bodies will be, and, and minds will be thinking about, you know, Ohio state and Georgia. And then when it's not on that same level, you naturally, your game is going to come down as well. It's going to kind of follow it. Yeah, Andrew is saying that Urban Meyer did it for Alabama during their national title year. I have no idea. Apparently, he talked about it during a podcast. Was that before they, you know, like the week before they played Alabama? Was it all season long? I don't know. And just because it worked for one guy, you know, like, I guess my question would be, why doesn't Jim Harbaugh have beat TCU periods in practice? Because, <laughs> like, why are you going to worry about Georgia when you can't even beat TCU? You know, is Georgia like, on their regular season schedule? They're not. No, right? they're not. And that's why it's like you're you're like you know Ohio State's going to be. So it's like okay, that's your biggest rival. Whatever you know, if if you want to do that for, you know, like your rivals in there, okay. But to play Georgia, like so many different things have to happen to even get to that point where they're matched up 
with Jordan. Right. So exactly. I just it, it it makes no sense to me, especially again when they lost to the team TCU that got blown out the next week in the national championship game by Georgia. So like there's like there's like there's a tier situation. There's at least here. ten other teams that, yeah. that that need to be on the list, I think, before right before you start having beat Georgia periods. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. I just think it's I think it's pretty funny. I think it's hilarious that he's it's a very Jim Harbaugh thing to do, though. It's like on brand for Jim Harbaugh. You know, and by the way, he also apparently has a book on you know like either on his desk or you know like on the coffee table in his office that says uh, that you know the cover of the book says all the great things about ohio state and then you open up the book and it's all blank pages <laughs> oh my gosh just, he's such a child i know <sighs> it's funny because you know to me I feel like the situation with Urban Meyer and the NFL ultimately proved that at Ohio State, I feel like a lot of things were not handed to Urban Meyer, but he didn't he didn't have to work as hard as I think he thought he did. And well, it's a different game. It was it's different game in the NFL and college because when you're in college, you know you are the god, you are the kingmaker, right? But by the time you get to the NFL, the not NFL. So is much more a player-driven league than college is. You know, college, all the demagogues are are the head coaches. And that, you know, Urban Meyer loved him some Urban Meyer. And he could oh, yeah. he could do whatever he wanted when he was at Ohio State, but all the rules changed when he yep. went to the NFL. You can't talk and and treat players, you know, adult men the same way in the NFL as you can in college. And that's yep. you know Agreed. just a huge difference. So Shohei Otani leads the major league with 28 home runs this season. And of course, the all-star break is about a week and a half away. He still hasn't decided if he'll participate in the home run derby. So on a scale of one to 10, how much does baseball need Otani in the home run derby? 17. <laughs> they, they need you in baseball. You need star power and in the home run derby, even more so you need star power. Can it be fun if you got a bunch of no-name guys? Sure, to baseball purists or whatever. But if you want the casual baseball fan to tune in, you better have some names in that home run derby. Who watches the dunk contest during the NBA All-Star game anymore? Not the casual fan, I guarantee it. Because Jordan and Spud Webb and all those guys, they're not in it anymore. It's a bunch of no-name rookies that if you're a big-time NBA fan, then okay, but if you're a casual NBA fan, nobody's watching that crap anymore. You need star power in these all-star events if you want to have anybody watching it. Yeah, so Vince took a lot of my points and a lot of parallels that I kind of had was, you know, the the biggest, the, I guess, criticism you could say right now with, not the biggest, but one of the criticisms that you can say with the NBA All-Star Weekend is a lot of what Vince was talking about. You have a dunk contest that used to be you know, the most anticipated you know, thing yeah, in the all-star weekend, you had Vince Carter showing up, you had, you know, some of the people that you were talking about Vince. Um, and, and nowadays it's just a, like they had, they had G league guys in it this past year. <sighs> Did they really? Yeah. And it's like, oh just, my gosh. and it's insane because if you want to, you know, for something that, de that demands popularity, you got to have your best players in it. And I get it. It's a, it's a, you know, at least for basketball, it might be more of a, an injury prone thing because you're going up and you're dunking and whatever. I get that. But at the same time, like, they all the guys used to do it and everyone used to be fine and so you start to look at this year's home run derby and it's okay you've seen julio rodriguez you know vlad vlad guerrero jr is going to be in it again mookie betts is in it like those three guys alone i feel like is a, is a lot more kind of star power than what we're used to but when we're talking about shohei otani the guy who's you know in my in my opinion i don't understand how he's not the mvp every year when you're hitting you're hitting like he is and your your, your era sits where otani sits like no one produces on both sides like Otani does. And to me, he's the current face of baseball. And so if you can't get, you know, the current face of baseball into the home run derby at least one time before it's all said and done, I just think it's inexcusable. So for me this year, uh, I think it's a 10 out of 10 because you got to get Otani while you still can. And I think the longer you wait, the harder it's ultimately going to get, you know, to get someone like show a Otani to do the, the home run derby. This is like the all-star game and, and the home run derby specifically. Like when you look at Pete Alonzo 
a couple of years ago. Todd Frazier, a few years before that, you know, like when they won home run derbies, like it really launched them, you know, into a national conversation, even though it's exhibition and it's, you know, it's a home run derby. Like this is really kind of the launching off point for major league baseball because one, nothing else is going on right right now. And you guys are right. You're like Shohei Otani is literally having the best season we've ever seen, like maybe ever, or at least we haven't seen a guy like this in over a hundred years, literally since Babe Ruth. Like yeah. when Babe Ruth was still pitching and, and hitting for the Red Sox, that was the last time we saw a guy doing anything close to what Shohei Otani is doing right now. And you need him on this stage, you know, in, in that kind of stage, because you're right. You, you know, like, Michael Jordan, remember, before all the championships, he won the slam dunk competition. Yep. You know, that yep. was again, you know, that was like, you know, he was he was really good, but that was kind of his launching off point. So many others. These these sports need these guys. They need actual stars, even though they are exhibitions. They are, you know, kind of the time, I think, in the middle of these seasons when more people are watching these all-star weekends. And again, for baseball, it's even more so like baseball lacks stars. And right. Shohei Otani should be a star, even though he's playing in Los Angeles. He plays for the Angels, so he is not talked about, you know, even even the way Mike Trout is talked about still, I think, in in some circles. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I think Vince said 17. I would match the 17. <laughs> Isn't it crazy, sure. though, that like you just brought up Mike Trout, right? And so I was talking about this with the other day. You You have two of the greatest players in the game right now on one team. And then in my opinion – you can make the case that you have three of the greatest players on the same team because Otani can pitch and hit. He's an elite pitcher sure. yeah. and hitter. And then you throw in Mike Trout in there as, as the hitter he is. So you're telling me you have three, technically three of the best players in the game right now, and you still right. – I, I just don't get it. I, I really don't yeah. don't get that. And it, it's just mind-baffling to me. And it's to me, I, I feel like the Angels don't deserve them anymore because it's like you're wasting away some of – you know, the game's best talent right now. And it's just crazy to me. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Get to Rob's question here in just a second. But I was thinking, you know, I, I slipped in with uh, with Vince and Brian earlier. As mean. uh, as Derek mean. says, you know, Vince, you <laughs> seem to seem like you forgot that Sean disrespected your basketball knowledge. Just wanted to remind you. And I've been kind of workshopping you know, like a, a potential, like a Vince segment. And I'm, I'm like workshopping some names for it. And, you know, like one was grandpa, tell me more about 1985, you know, like that's good. The other was, you know, just Vince's bad basketball takes, you know, maybe it's a little wow, too, where does that come from? What do you mean? What, but, are, what are my bad basketball takes? So much hatred, man, <laughs> the vitriol. I feel like Grandpa, tell me, tell me more about 1985. Yeah. Could be the way to go. That might so. be because that's pretty accurate. <laughs> I don't know about. I mean, I called a lot of game basketball games with you over the years. I feel like I have some basketball knowledge. It's true. It's true. But uh, NBA, I don't know. not so much. Not not <laughs> post like uh, 2001. I don't really have a whole lot of NBA knowledge, but. You know, basketball. I was looking, you know, this came up because Vince popped in in the chat yesterday when we were talking about uh, Micah Shrewsbury and, you know, putting up the threes at Penn State. They were like, it was either 13th or 16th in the uh, nation in three-point attempts last season. And But it, the I makes that, are what I'm worried about. The makes. I know that, I know that you know, offends Vince, even though how many, how many championships did Golden State win putting up all those threes? It's a lot, but they made a lot of threes. That's the difference. They did. They made them. That's where they I need did. to be. You need to make them. You just play that four out, have one guy sitting in the middle. As long as you got rebounds. a dominant guy underneath, I mean, yeah. you can play that. And then, But the key, and the, I will say this, and this is going to be old school too, the key is you got to play good defense, Styers. You got to play will. good defense. I mean, that's you were in there last night when we were talking about it. I yes. think that's going to be the key difference between a Shrewsbury team and a Mike Bray team is the willingness and the desire to yes. play some defense. And Absolutely. there's going to be an actual focus on defense. I think what makes that style of game so hard is it's, it's just the, it, the style itself 
in terms of fans' eyes and opinions, it, it just goes drastically one way or the other. It's either really successful and it really works, or you're breaking everything and everyone's just screaming at their TV, stop shooting the three, you know? And so that's the thing is the Warriors Grandma made it looks the Warriors made it look so easy because they literally made everything. You got a yeah. guy who can shoot from the logo, right? And so like exactly that's, that's what makes it a little bit harder is that it's just so infuriating to watch because when it's working, oh my goodness, right? Like everyone loves to see the threes fall. But Absolutely. When it's not working, it's like, oof, it's there's nothing more infuriating. Yeah. And it's like, let's get some quality possessions. Let's maybe work it around a little yes. bit. And so I think that's where it makes it difficult. I concur. And uh, just for uh, just for KMAC, we slipped in a little uh, little basketball talk at Vince's expense. Well, we do. You know, yeah, well, it's okay. <laughs> Look, there's no bigger fan than me. I love it when the threes are draining. I completely agree with Jesse, but they have to be draining. That's the key. Like you can't just chuck them. You just can't be a chucker. You got to make them. It's true. Good point. By the way, like I've been, I was thinking about this today too. You know, speaking of the Vince D'Addario you know, mode of operation. Like I've been accused many times over the years by my family of being George Costanza, you know, like anytime I, you know, I start with a little this or a little that. The summer okay. is gone. You're being a Costanza. That's right. <laughs> that Pope can move, baby. I feel like Vince is even more Costanza than me though. So <laughs> maybe I've, it depends maybe on I'm... what we're talking about. Vince yeah. on the topic. Okay. Yeah. All right. See, Jesse, Jesse knows, Jesse knows. <laughs> All right. So Rob says, I hope I can explain this right. Will Marcus Freeman create a release the dogs attitude on teams this year, especially late in games to get the younger players experience aim to dominate from start to finish. I think that's an easy one to understand. That's just, is he yes. going to put the throat, the foot down on people's throats yep. at the end of games? And I sure hope he does because that that creates a winning culture and a culture of hungriness. You got you want you want your lions to hunt. You want your lions to be hungry. And I think that's the kind of culture that he's got to build. Is you know if, if we want these younger guys to get better and and down the road, we got to handle our business, put our foot on the throats, and then let our young guys go out there and eat a little bit too. So I really hope you know I I, I can't say whether or not it's going to happen, but. I feel like that it's it's it would be different from the previous regime where it's okay. Let's just cruise through the fourth quarter and not really make any mistakes. I think Marcus Freeman's going to be. We want to pound you and we want to be physical the entire game. And so I definitely think there's going to be a concerted effort to be different. But you know, it's just it's one thing to it, it just needs to happen, right? And so I I can't really say until you know we get to see whether or not it happens. But I, I think he's going to go in with that mindset definitely. Yeah, and I, I think the the foot on the throat thing is absolutely accurate. And I think Marcus Friedman will have more of that mentality than the last regime did. And it's not you're not just doing it to get young guys in the game. Because look, the reality is if you're blowing a team out and you put young guys in, are they really running the offense? Or are they just are the wide receivers just going out and stock blocking and There's the placeholders is turning and handing it off? Like that's not experience. That that doesn't help you in the long run that's called scout team practice correct like that doesn't do anything for you from an experience standpoint if marcus freeman is going to be the guy that we want him to be and to build all of that up you got to get those guys in during the actual gameplay like when it matters mm -hmm. and i'm not saying all at once i'm saying you trickle them in you do certain things and you're 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 very uh direct about it right you have a plan about it and then while doing that you're sticking the hammer to these teams and you're blowing them out. Mark, Brian Kelly never wanted to blow anybody out because he wanted everybody to like him. Marcus Freeman doesn't <laughs> give a crap about that because everybody already likes him. You can blow teams out and still do the right thing. Hopefully that's the case moving forward. Yeah, I just, you know, I realize when you're Notre Dame, you know, things are going to get, you know, overanalyzed and, you know, microscope is out and all that kind of stuff i just i don't think you can worry about that kind of stuff i just you know put the put put your boot on the neck of the snake and squash it you know that's just what it comes down to you just love it you, you just yeah yeah and i do hope that they have that mentality you know i felt like there you know there were a couple games obviously last year that 
that turned into blowouts. You know, the Navy game got a lot more like it was trending in that direction. Boston College. Right right up until it wasn't. But yeah, but then Boston College did, UNLV did, you know, those kind of games. Yeah. So, but I think a lot of it comes with with the talent on your roster as well. And, uh, you know, it, it comes back to that, how much more talent you have than the other team. And, you know, like those two instances, BC and, and UNLV, it was very obvious that the talent on the field was not in the same ballpark, you know, and I bet, right. again, I just think that we're going to continue to see Notre Dame have much more talent than most of those, you know, kind of teams that they're playing, you know, with the exception of the elite, and then the talent's going to be evenly matched. And, you know, that's a different story altogether. But I think in those, those eight to nine games per season, where they are going to have a lot more talent. I think I tend to think we're going to see that I do more too. often than we do. <clears throat> I do too. Because there's just there's obviously a different mentality that the new head coach has than the old head coach did. A few more questions that we had from the mailbag the other day that I promised that we were going to save for today. Iris Shaitan, who I haven't seen today, so of course we're using one of his questions today, but he says, what teams other than Notre Dame would you like to call a game for, and who would you want in the booth with you? Vince, we'll start with you on this one. I would call a game, um, I I assume we're talking college football. I'm going to assume that, but I guess it could be really anything. Um, I'd love to call a Cubs game, obviously. I would call any college football D1, like Power 5 college football game, I would call any of those, and I think it would be fun. Um, I, I would Anything at the professional level I think would be a lot of fun to call, and there's really only one guy I want in the booth, that guy right there. <laughs> I would do Alabama and LSU with Tony Romo, and then Ooh. I would do a Cubs game with – um. Who would I do a Cubs game with? I would have to I, – I, I need to think about who I would do a Cubs game with, but it would be – give me a second. Come back Anthony to Anthony Rizzo? No, it, I, it would have to be someone more of the past, I think. Ryan Sandberg? Sammy no, Sosa? No, no. Give me – actually, give me like Derek Lee up there, I think. Okay. Sandberg. <laughs> Ernie Banks might be up there as well. But he's, he's a little not old, old. Enough for Stanberg, I guess. Yeah, Ernie That's Banks true. is a little bit. Yeah, yeah. K-Mac and 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 actually, you know what? I, I figured out That'd who it would one. be. It would be Carlos Zambrano. Really? Wow. Yeah, it would be Carlos Zambrano. I think he would bring that fiery edge up there. Like he he'd get up there and 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 really start getting into it. I feel like. So I would go with Carlos Zambrano. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, like NFL, like early in my career, that was that was like my ultimate goal, I think, was was like doing the NFL. Like today, probably not as much because my eyes are already older than I would like them to and be. And where and where you sit in those there. press boxes is is yeah. up there. That's right. So being a little bit closer to the action, you know, like the Cubs would be a great one. And, you know, like I would have these two guys, like if I was doing a Cubs game, that like would be so much fun. These, these two guys right here, you know, like I love what I'm doing right now, calling the, the, the Notre Dame women's games. That's for sure. But at the same time, I, you know, I think it would be fun, you know, to call my alma mater, you know, Kansas men's basketball, that would be a blast. And I, you know, I think you guys both really know, I love, college baseball and like especially if pulmonary was still at lsu Mm -hmm. i would love to have you know been able to call like some lsu baseball at at a packed alex box stadium just the environment down there and the whole thing would have been been awesome When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, 
Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, speaking of broadcasting and announcers, Andre asked, who is your favorite TV sports announcer? And I'll piggyback with that. So you go favorite announcer and favorite duo. Boom, 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 boom. My favorite announcer. See, this is a tough question because there's – you start looking at, you know, I think I think for football, I actually really enjoy Troy Aikman. Um, that's probably not a very popular um, answer. I like Reggie Reggie um, Reggie Jackson a lot. Um, or sorry, Reggie Miller. I don't know why I said Jackson. I Reggie say Miller. Reggie Jackson. Um, <laughs> I like. I you brought up Gus Johnson and Joe Joe Clatt here. I think Gus Johnson's a little over the top sometimes a little bit i think he kind of embellishes it a little bit but that's part of the job right um i think he does a really good job um yeah i i really think it would have to be someone like troy aikman in terms of football and then when we're talking about baseball i would like to do one oh i would love to do a game with matt vaskersian actually oh is who okay. i would pick for baseball okay he's a good one so my favorite pat hughes Tony Roberts. Those are my favorite guys. And I know you said TV, but I don't care. Pat Hughes has been on TV. So. I like Pat Hughes too, Vince. And love I think he Pat gets Hughes. a lot of flack for some reason. Yeah. Really I good. love Pat Hughes. And I I will say the original Pat and Ron, I could listen to those guys all day long. And I know that Ron is a cheerleader and all that, but <laughs> he bled Cubby Blue, man. And like I, people loved him. And that's exactly right. And that's that's why he is who he is. So that yeah. Pat Hughes by far I for baseball, you know, he's my guy and and I love those two together. And Tony Roberts, nobody calls a Notre Dame game like Tony Roberts. Yep. I mean, he his voice is Notre Dame football in my head. You know what I mean? So that those th- those are my guys right there and that's who I would I, I would you kidding me? I would love to do a game with Pat Hughes. Like that would be if we're kind of piggybacking off the last question. Like if if for some reason Pat Hughes gave me a call, it's like, hey, I need you to do you know a Pirates game with me on a Wednesday night. I would like, oh my god, that would be I could die a happy man. Like that would be awesome. Do you like um, Boogie Shambi? It's okay. Like he doesn't bother me like he does some people. He uh, bothers me. I will regrettably say <laughs> I haven't watched a ton of games because I can't watch the marquee. Still doesn't network. have marquee. So I did see. Did you see that? That I guess they're getting a uh, a streaming direct to consumer platform here. Sometimes. I did it sounds see like that. Maybe mid season. Very what curious as to what that would cost. Well, the other thing is I've read that when I read the article and it was in the Chicago Sun Times, I believe. So obviously, you know, it was in the Chicago market where this article was written. Um, but I heard that it was like for the home market. So I don't know if that is like just the home market proper or, you know, in the bigger right. footprint. We get you know, stuff like blacked out though. Bend. So exactly. I feel like we, would, we should be the home market, but as screwed up as major league baseball's I know. You know, blackout rules are, you just never know. I got excited earlier on in the season when the game was going to be on ESPN, but it was also simulcast on marquee. So it was blocked out. So I couldn't still get it blacked out. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, helps out your fan base, right? You know, yeah. Blacking out games. Like we were talking about, you know, with Otani and what baseball needs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. These blackout rules. Yeah. Really great. Really great. Um, My favorite play by play. And you're right. You guys did cheat Pat Hughes and, and Ron Santo, you know, like even though technically Pat Hughes is, Doing more TV the last he couple is. of years, made his made his name in radio. I mean, Kevin Harlan, play by play guy. I would say for basketball, even though I'm obviously not into the NBA as much as college, like I would go Harlan and Reggie Miller as the duo there. For football, I would go Joe Buck, Troy Aikman as my booth. I don't, I don't. That's uh, mine. Mine's the same as for. Uh, I, I don't, like Joe Buck in football, but not necessarily as much in baseball. Yeah, and I yeah I don't hate him nearly as much as 
as most people do. Like I, I, I like think the, Joe Buck. I'm sorry. I think the I, Buck Aikman combo is yeah. is really the best in the business. It's solid every week. Yeah, exactly. That's I agree. Got a Hall of Fame quarterback, and you know, like one of the best announcers to ever do it. You know, play by play guys to ever do it. So I think it's it's really good. Um, question that I have for you guys. Like you guys have both, you know, you guys have both done some games. You've also done talk shows and, you know, pregame shows and, you know, whatever else it, it happens to be. Which do you think is easier to do? Like doing the, you know, like the live game type stuff or the studio type stuff? Because, you know, like we're, we're, we're seeing, obviously, you know, players finish their careers. Some of them go into the booth and do games. Some go to the studio. Which, which do you guys think is easier? This, this is so much easier from what I contribute, what I do, this is easier. Now you are planning the topics and the questions and all of that stuff, <laughs> like answering the questions and, and having good repartee and all of that, like that comes very naturally. That's very easy. Yes. There's some prep work involved, but not a lot games there. If you want to do it right, there's more prep work involved. You've got to know who these players are. You've got to know the coaches. Especially if you're doing like a network TV game as opposed to yes. you know, local Ab- radio and stuff like that. So yeah. much more homework that goes into calling a game. Uh, and I, again, I'm speaking from the color side of things. Then the play-by, the play-by-play side is incredibly difficult to prepare for and do well because you got to have stats and you got to have them you know, available and you've got to know the players and you've got to do all of those different things. So preparing for a game, whether it's color or play by play, is incredibly is is much harder than it is to prepare for a talk show. I would say that this these t- sort of shows are easier, but I think games are more fun because I think what makes the game so fun is you never know what's gonna happen. And then when something happens, you can just give your live time kind of analysis right and just allow yourself as someone who's just been you know played the game been around the game for so long you just naturally know things like when you're doing a baseball game you can say oh you know this pitcher is really doing a good job of doing this this and this or this hitter is you know doing this because it's just what you're seeing and it's a lot easier to kind of talk about that so I, I find the the games more fun and more kind of keep you on your toes and but the shows to be ultimately kind of easier I would say to do yeah I'm what a play by play guy. Like the prepper, there's more, there's, you know, either way you've got to prep, but right. to me, it's like the play by play is, is easier because it just, it's you literally as the play by play announcer, sit there, watch it unfold and just say what you see and, you know, talk about what's happening right in front of you, you know? So I, I don't know easier, but it, you know, it's definitely, there's, Oh yeah. Like to me, it's a lot of fun, you know, this is a lot of fun as well, but you know, to me, like, like the play by play is where it's at. I love doing games. There's nothing like a big game. Love doing games, especially big ones. Like you said, like, even though it was high school, I love doing the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like the sectionals and all that stuff like that. That's where that's the fun. There's, there's no, there's no doubt about that. Like that's, that's the most fun. Andrew asked if we like Tom Hammond when he was doing the TV for Notre Dame for many years. I didn't mind. You guys remember much about Tom Hammond? Oh yeah. I thought he was, I thought he was, I thought Tom Hammond was pretty solid, solid. spectacular. Here's what I remember the most about Tom Hammond though, because you know, like we were back in the days when we had our, uh, you know, when we did the pregame show, we had a booth on the broadcast level, the press box, just a couple booths down from, you know, NBC TV. And I just always remember at halftime, they would have the hot dogs out there and Tom Hammond would come out and put onions all over his hot dog. And I remember just seeing him, you know, like eating his hot dog, <laughs> like that, making sure not to get any food on his shirt, which I totally would have done. But that's what I remember most about Tom Hammond is the onions on the hot dog. You know, at well, Tom Hammond kind of, kind of honestly, again, good at what he does, but he kind of scared me. He reminded me of someone off of like Charlie and the chocolate factory. Well, because he's got a massive head, number one. And again, it's not his fault, but like he's got a massive head. And whenever I saw him, it was obviously on game day, same situation as Sean. 
he cakes the makeup on too. That's what I mean. That's why yeah. he reminded me of <laughs> like all those of, guys when you see them again, in person it, like that. Because like yeah. Jeff Jeffers would be like that as well. Like you yeah. see, you know, like Jeff would come from channel 16 over to do you know like interview players post practice and stuff like that and he would have the pancake stuff caked oh, over his face still man so. <laughs> Woo. Uh, and the coffee stains on his shirt i do miss Jeff. <laughs> that is for sure all right Andy cheat sheet a question from him worst case scenario alabama lsu usc and michigan make the playoffs this year who are you regretfully rooting for is Tyler Buckner the quarterback? Because if he is, I'm rooting for Alabama. Okay. Yeah, I think I have to go with Alabama on this list. I would as well. Like uh, a couple years ago, it probably would have been LSU, but that has obviously changed, and uh, I'm not pulling for either yeah. of the other teams. So no, no, I wouldn't pull this for. Is... Here's an interesting one, and I don't know. Jesse and I were talking just before the show started a ton of layoffs, unfortunately, yeah. at ESPN today, including a couple of former Notre Dame basketball players, LaFonso Ellis and Jordan Cornette, oh, unfortunately, wow. uh, were both laid off, as was Todd McShay and some of the other notables, Susie Colber, Steve Young, Jalen Rose, Keyshawn Johnson, Jeff Van Gundy, and Max Kellerman, all laid off by ESPN. Wow, today, which uh, totally like just massive, and there were many more than them. But those are some of the the bigger you know, names, the bigger names. But like Mister Two says, I'd take Todd McShay in the Notre Dame booth for color commentary since he's now available. And that's I'll be really curious to see where someone like him yeah. goes because he's obviously a draft guy. Um, I think that he could really like if he were to to go to a place like NBC, I think he could be a guy. Who might not, you know, necessarily be deep in the draft coverage like he was at ESPN, but I think that he could do a lot of stuff he for a place like NBC level. between the NFL yeah. and you know the NFL, college stuff on the Saturdays. Big Ten, Notre yeah. Dame, all of it. I think I I actually would have no problem with Todd McShay coming over to oh. Notre Dame, but you got to pair him up with a good play-by-play guy, and that's not the guy that's in there right now. Apparently, David Pollock from uh, oh, he was from terrible. Game Day so that's fine. Got it as well. He was horrible. <laughs> Come on, Vince. This is the one day you're supposed to go. Well, that sucks. <laughs> I mean, it no, sucks him, and, him and Desmond job. are just homers. But, but the he's entire just time. terrible at the, yeah. at his job. So I, you know. But unfortunately, when you look at this list, I don't think job performance necessarily. Well, has, you know. that I because Susie Colber, she's right. a freaking pros pro. Like how? Well, how and I mean McShay. Yeah, you know, and like you can't too even much justify. money. Younger, younger talents right. cheaper now. Yeah. And I thought Lafonso Ellis, he was, was really excellent. good with the basketball coverage. You know? He and was excellent, and if it's possible, he's even a better person than he is. Right, one of the nicest guy. people you'll ever meet. Oh my that gosh, sure. one of the nicest guys ever. Yep. So obviously, hopefully, things work out. Well, all of them, but that's that's a long list, and you know this is something is. I don't know how closely you guys have followed it, but this has kind of been like impending for a long time. It was just a matter of when you know who the names were going to be. And last week we talked about the fact that they got rid of the you know the ESPN Radio morning <laughs> show, you know, with Keyshawn Max Kellerman, which is also and, bad uh, by the way. But well, yeah, and they got rid of it. But Max <laughs> Kellerman and Keyshawn Johnson were two of the three, Fire. and they were both yeah. let go today. So, yeah, I mean, look, I would never condone firing them, but the show is not good. I mean, I, right. they, they need to find something else for those guys to do. But again, following Mike and Mike is not an easy scenario for anybody. <laughs> what are you doing no, down there? But, you know, that's – we talked about this on last week's show. ESPN is has probably about a decade's track record now of basically saying they don't care about the yeah, radio side. And that's it, true. It just has really shown with the, the way they have treated it, you know, between, mm -hmm. you know, between pushing for Mike, you know, Mike Greenberg obviously decided he wanted to do something different. They did that. They've made him, you know, like one of the faces of ESPN. And in the meantime, Golick, who was one of their better on-air personalities slash analysts, is no longer there and look yeah. what they let it become for these last, right. you know, what five or so years since that happened and, and where it is now. It's just, I mean, that was horrible. Must listen radio on my way into school every day was Mike and Mike. Yeah. And I know that's going to be the same scenario for a lot of people out there, but it just was. 
And now there's nothing to listen to in the morning that's that's solid. Um, so yeah, I I I will say that ESPN's loss could be NBC, CBS, Fox. It could be their gain because there's a lot of good talent that got let go today. Uh, who could definitely pick up the? They could definitely pick up the pieces here. Like Fox, if McShay is going to continue to focus on draft stuff, Fox would seem like the logical sure. place for him because they have the FS1 shows and all that right. kind of stuff. But, you know, again, like if you wanted to branch out and do some different things, the fact that NBC is going to have college football on Saturday as well as the NFL on Sunday, that could be, you know, like uh, what's his name? Matthew, um, the uh, – the fantasy football guy. I can't think of his last name now off the top of my head. I know left, who you're talking about. He left ESPN a few months back, and he's with NBC now. Oh, okay. Do be doing more stuff with them. Interesting. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Appreciate you as always. We will have a show on Monday, and I completely forgot to tease this up front. I'm going to have a special co-host with me on Monday. Sean Davis is going to be. So it's going to be Sean and Sean on nice. Monday. We're going to have some fun with that. This will be the first time that uh, Sean Davis and I have done a show together. So we'll have that coming up Monday. Of course, Tuesday is the 4th of July. And uh, Vince, you'll be gone all next week. So safe yeah. travels. Hope hope you Thank and the you. family have uh, fun on 4th of July moratorium weekend. Yeah, that's right. When you're when you have a high school athlete, you're kind of hamstrung as to when you can go on a family vacation. So we're going during moratorium, which is the week off, and uh, should be fun renting a house on the beach and you know just gonna kind of relax, maybe. Awesome. Hopefully, not spend too much money. <laughs> Jesse, stay safe in Cincinnati. Thank have you. Have fun. It's a crazy weekend down here. I bet. Ooh, Enjoy your golf you. in the morning. All right. Have a great weekend. Again, we'll talk to you Monday. Smash the like button on your way out. And, of course, subscribe, rate, and review. Talk to you later. I'll be Nation Sports Talk. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.